Lord Almighty, we give you glory because you are worthy of that glory. I pray that you would open our ears and open my mouth so that we can hear your word and that you would be glorified. Glorify your name, Jesus, as we seek to be the men and women of God you have created us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Wikipedia says, Compulsive hoarding is a pattern of behavior that is characterized by the excessive acquisition of and inability or unwillingness to discard quantities of objects. They cover the living areas of the home and cause significant distress. I take that to be mental, emotional, or impairment. I take that to be a lack of ability to move. It further concludes that little paragraph by saying, it can be dangerous, this compulsive hoarding can be dangerous if it puts the individual or others at risk from fire, falling, poor sanitation, and other health concerns. And I would add to that, it is dangerous because it impedes our ability to trust Jesus, to treasure Jesus. Wikipedia further notes that between 2 and 5% of the adult population in the U.S. suffer from this quote-unquote malady. In fact, stepping away from Wikipedia, in fact, compulsive hoarding can become so absurd, it can, so absurd can some get in this particular flavor of sin and then so purient our interest that there are at least three cable television shows that exploit the pain and sorrow and agony of those who are compulsive hoarders. Now this cultural, this hoarding complex and our cultural delight in others' misfortune serves tonight as a good sermon point. It also serves as a warning to those of us whose covetousness is not so gross by reminding ourselves of the reality and pain that hoarding causes. Stuff will never satisfy. Stuff can only anesthetize our groping after the one who can cure us of all of our ills. Tonight, I want to look at God's word and I want to learn that we must treasure God's rule, not stuff. And we're going to further realize that we must value the valuable. I want to look tonight at Matthew chapter 6. Starting in verse 19, our passage says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? 
No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot love both God and money. Commentator Craig Blomberg puts all of this into one concise sentence. He says, Jesus commands his followers not to accumulate possessions they do not use for his work. Jesus commands his followers not to accumulate possessions they do not use for his work. I have summarized it a little tighter than that. You and I must treasure God's rule, not stuff. Now let me say right at the beginning that Jesus neither here nor anywhere else condemns the accumulation of capital for kingdom purposes. Nor does Jesus anywhere condemn saving up for a rainy day. In fact, the Bible lauds this behavior in Scripture elsewhere. In Charles Griffith's favorite passage, Proverbs 6, 6 and 8, Go to the ant, O sluggard, and consider her ways, and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. In other words, you should be conscious of those treasures that are given to you so that you can save them up in case, as we know there will be, rainy days ahead that we must have access to those things that God has already provided. Nevertheless, in these verses, Jesus very carefully condemns something. And he does so very specifically, and we're going to consider this week and next week kind of two arguments that Jesus lays out as to why we should treasure God's rule as opposed to treasuring stuff. We'll look at our first point right now and we'll find it in verses 19 through 21. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The first point is love what's worthy of your heart. Your heart is the most important thing you own. The reason why your heart is the most important thing that you own is because as is nothing else, your heart is essentially you. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Everything that is your life comes from the heart. And that's why, by the way, Jesus comes to purify our heart. He comes to enliven our heart. He comes to give life to us so that which is flowing out in these springs, instead of being filth, and garbage is actual living water. Jesus 
is more specific than that. He says in Matthew 16, 26, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in return for, your, for his soul? Now, without getting too particular, if you want to have this discussion, I'd love to. The soul refers to everything that is the person. And that includes your mind, your body, and your heart. Now, the point is, and Jesus is making here in Matthew 16 as well, don't love stuff too much or you will lose everything forever. It will be gone. Which brings up the question, why does the Bible talk about people who don't trust God's promises as lost? Why do we use this idea that so-and-so is lost because they don't know and therefore love and trust Jesus? It's because people who love things more than God really are lost. They are separated from that which can give them life and therefore they don't know where they are. If they did, they'd wake up and get some help. Now, from time to time, you and I may convince ourselves that our stuff will last, but everybody in this room knows the truth. Our stuff doesn't last. That's why we've got to stop lying to ourselves. We've got to stop thinking that we need whatever newest gadget. By the way, I'm preaching to me tonight because I convinced myself of that as well. I need this, and I'll be happy if I have this. Everybody here is old enough to know that just ain't so. If your stuff doesn't wear out, it'll rust out. If your stuff doesn't get buried in a pile in your hoarding room of your house, it will get stolen by family or by crooks or by the same person. <laughs> no matter what, Jesus teaches your stuff can never completely satisfy. So, what does Jesus do? Being the wisest, smartest, most investment-minded individual in the universe, he gives us great investment advice. He tells us, invest in blue-chip stocks that won't crumble into sand. But it's worse than that. We think that's bad enough. When you and I are invested in stuff rather than the relationship that matters, we find that we can't even reach up towards that relationship that proves to be the source of life. This is because of a comment by John Stott. He says, materialism tethers our hearts to the earth. Think of being in one of those Graf Zeppelins a hundred years ago, and you, they would drop the cables and, and the people would bring them down so that the Zeppelin wouldn't fly away. We want to fly, to be near Jesus. But our stuff, 
Our desire for things holds us down so that we can't climb. Whatever you find on earth besides God, his kingdom, and his world will one day be destroyed. As it was put in a song years ago, you can't take anything that don't fit in your heart. That, I think, is what Jesus is getting out in verse 20. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Which leads us to the question, what is heavenly treasure? Now, one way to look at this would be to say that heavenly treasure is that which is valued in heaven. Okay, what's valued in heaven? What what? Is to heaven gold what gold is to us here? One thing, God's glory. God's glory. Whatever brings God's glory in your life, that is what heavenly treasure is. Anytime you sacrifice your time, your talent, or your treasure to bless someone in Jesus' name, anytime you cheerfully give someone else so that they can see the difference that Jesus has made in your life, anytime you regularly give to support the ministries that honor Jesus, In all of those times, you are creating treasures in heaven. Anytime you put your treasure where your mouth is, by donating time and money to the Crisis Pregnancy Center, by donating time and money to serve the homeless at Good Samaritan Shelter, by donating your coffee time and money to sit down with a young mom so that she can learn that child raising is the long, hard, patient, very often thankless task of meaning what you say when you say it. Anytime you put your trust, anytime you put your treasure where your mouth is, that is when you are laying up treasures in heaven. There's three ideas right there that all of us could do. And the reason why we do this is because of one of the most important verses that Jesus ever gave. Verse 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now listen, my friends. Jesus is giving us the most practical investment advice there has ever been in the history of mankind. If you begin to live like this, laying up heavenly treasures, you'll be preparing a five-star suite for yourself in heaven. Get enough of your heart there already before we die here on earth, and you will be guarding your heart, as the Proverbs, author of Proverbs says, with the greatest fortress in the universe, something that all the gold in Fort Knox couldn't build for you. If you and I begin today to live like stuff isn't the source of our life, you will be living for the first time in your life. You'll breathe the fresh air of freedom. You will be born again if you haven't already trusted the promises of God. And 
This is just another one of those pregnant Bible phrases that we throw around all too easily and we forget to acknowledge the reality of what it really means. To be born again means to have your values changed, to have the way that you think about stuff changed. And you will be able to live. If you begin right now treasuring God's rule more than stuff, you will finally get past one of God's most creatively, specifically, carefully worded statements of consumerism in the United States when he said in Jeremiah 2.13, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountains of living water, that which springs up out of our souls, that's the source of our life, and have hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. I can't resist. The second time I was in Haiti, we were walking down this hill into this little village and wisely someone built a really nice big cistern. It had to be a good 15 by 15 and it had to be 20 feet deep and it was in a perfect spot where water up on the hill would roll down right into the cistern. It was filled with trash and it had no water. And not only that, but I was able to see the floor and they had carefully built these concrete um, cinder block walls and there was no foundation. So what was the water going to do? It was just going to hit that dirt and keep on going south. That is what our lives look like when we're looking for the solution to our happiness to be in stuff. A broken cistern. Therefore, you and I must treasure God's rule more than stuff. God and his kingdom are worthy of your heart. Stuff never is. So the first point, love what's worthy of your heart. The second point, wear the right glasses. Verses 22 and 23. The... <clears throat> The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, if that which is supposed to give you sight is blank, oh my, how great is that darkness. Jesus is giving an emphasis on the fact if, if what is giving you light is a particular thing or a particular relationship or a particular circumstance, that's as opaque as the midnight sky. There is nothing, which will mean there is no light in your soul. Whatever you treasure... Whatever, whatever your heart focuses on, it will blind you to everything else. You won't be able to see it because you're only looking at this treasure. Now, my wife and I like to go to antique malls. It's fun. No, don't show that yet. Go back. Oh, well. Block that. You don't see that. We like to go to antique malls. And 
when I go to antique malls, I look at the furniture, and one of the things, I, I look for 70s toys. Why? Because I was born in the 70s. And my wife goes and looks at Madame Alexander dolls. I mean, you know, whatever. So, so this is a, is a good example. Now you can go to the screen. On your left is the Evil Knievel stunt cycle. By the way, this was my absolute very favorite toy I ever got when I was a kid. For a measly $200, you can buy one in almost new condition on Amazon. Or you can go buy a Pocahontas Madame Alexander doll for $25. I mean, come on. Come on, help me out here. Which would you rather spend your money on? Never mind, never mind, never mind, never mind. <laughs> but not only does your, your treasure blind you to Pocahontas dolls, but it happens on television too, believe it or not. It could be a perfectly good evening with Miss Busters or Duck Dynasty, but some dumb whodunit murder mystery has to come on the screen and ruin the pixels of your minds. Here's the point. Whatever flavor of treasure you have, you will be instantly drawn to that and everything else becomes black as night. Your treasure blinds you to everything else. And if that treasure is not found in the person and work of Jesus Christ, wow, there's a lot of blackness. Here's the point. Stuff in your eyes will make you blind. If you are thinking too much about stuff, then you don't see the kingdom of what the kingdom of God is offering. If you aren't, as I said earlier, wearing the right glasses, then what you will have is stuff blindness. Or let's, let's stop picking on stuff. For some of us, it's a particular relationship. For some of us, it's a particular circumstance that we want. And if we're treasuring this perfect relationship that we can't have or if we're treasuring this perfect circumstance that we can't have whatever it is it creates blindness for that which is truly good your eyes will become infected with foreign matter that will then infect your heart and your soul and such souls aren't healthy enough to see God and therefore, there can be only one solution. Go to God and say, God, heal my blindness. Open my eyes. Because the pure in heart shall see God. They will have their bodies, their souls, their, their lives filled with light and goodness. And those are the people who will truly treasure the Lord's rule and not stuff. Now, I said at the beginning that this theme, treasure God's rule and not stuff, is going to be our 
big idea, our theme for this week and for next week. And next week, we're solidly going to get into understanding how God's rule fits into that. But what I want to get across right now is that we need to have our affections. We need to have that part of us that loves and hates oriented away from the things that are going to burn up with all the rest of the trash on earth and oriented towards God and his rule. So again, we have to ask the question. The question keeps coming back. How do I get my heart going in the right direction? How do I get my heart to value the right things? Well, I have to say, pardon the frankness, but Jesus doesn't stutter. He's pretty clear right here. Don't look at things that will blind you. Look at the things instead that will serve to help you to see God and therefore help others to see God as well. As I said in the first point, turn your eyes away from stuff as your source of light. Instead, put on a different pair of glasses. Now, what are those glasses? You're going to be shocked to hear me say this. It's trusting the promises of God for you in Christ. So I'm going to give you two steps, two things that you can start doing right now. The first one is simple. Ask God to bless you. Psalm 119.36, very clear. Incline my heart to your testimonies, to your word, and not to selfish gain, not to stuff or relationships or circumstances that will blind us from God. And then I'm going to give you a really hard verse to memorize. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Isn't that what we're all after anyways when we're daydreaming about owning an evil Knievel wind-up motorcycle toy? We're hoping to bring that childish excitement and thrill of playing with a little plastic toy that we had when we were six, which we know we can't have anymore. But what we really want is great gain. And Paul tells us right here, a promise that you can take to the bank. Godliness with contentment is enormous profit, is a blue chip, high yield interest rate in your bank account in heaven. Godliness with contentment is great gain. That's why you and I need to treasure God's rule, not stuff. That's why we need to value the valuable. Now we're going to look at just one more argument tonight that Jesus uses to encourage us to value that which is truly valuable, to dissuade us from looking at stuff to meet our deepest desires. And the one that gets to the point of both this week and next week is we need to not only love what is worthy of your heart, we need to wear the right glasses, and then we need to serve life, not death. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, Jesus says, crystal clear, no stuttering, no questions. You cannot serve both God and money. Your treasure, whatever you are treasuring at that moment, whatever you are looking at and holding in front of your mind and your heart's eyes, not only blinds you to other treasures, it turns you against everything else. It will turn your heart to enmity towards those things and relationships and circumstances that you might have treasured because now you've got just this one thing in front of your eyes. Now, everyone, from Billy Graham all the way down to me, which that's a long ways to go. <laughs> everyone has a particular flavor of sin. We have something that we enjoy, or even if it's not something we enjoy, it's something we, we, we keep tending to. We keep going in that direction. For some, it's lust. For some, it's anger. For some, it's covetousness. That is the one we're primarily talking about tonight. But nowhere is this treasuring more obvious than those who worship at the throne of the stock exchange. Because money is the single best alternative fake quote-unquote God there is. How do, I, how do I know this? How does money pretend to be a God? Well, it's simple. There's, there's a job description. If you want to qualify for being a God, you, you have a job description. You need to do three things. The God must provide, give provision, protection, and purpose to those who are his loyal subjects. Every God then demands obedience to its commands so that the loyal servant can partake in this provision, this protection, and this purpose. Okay, well, let, let's try this out. Provision. God our Father says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5. Man, I, I was tempted to go off on this. I would love to. Joshua 1, 8. Matthew 28, 20. Um, Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. Oh, it's my favorite one. Psalm 23. God prov promises all over Scripture, I will be your God. Money also makes a promise in this regard. And it, it sounds something like this. Unless you pursue me with everything you've got, you won't see me. Hmm. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You have to give me everything you got and you still might not get me. Mm, I think I'm going to go for this one. One promises presence all, through all of life's struggles and the other promises struggle through all life without even a guarantee of its benefit. What about protection? God our Father says, I will protect those who call upon me. Psalm 41, 1 and 2. Money says, unless you have enough of me, you won't have protection. I'm sorry. I just show of hands. How many have ever felt they've had enough money for anything? <laughs> Let alone have enough money for everything? 
It's ridiculous. And I'm sorry, but Steve Jobs is a great illustration of that. All the money in the world, and guess what? His liver fails, and the money fails too. Wow. If you thought chasing the rainbow would buy you something, go ask Steve Jobs. What about purpose? God our Father says, I will guide you with my eye upon you. It's one of my favorite verses. This cute little brunette gave me that verse as I prepared to go to Germany. Psalm 32, 8. Money, on the other hand, also, remember, proclaims to be a God, promises something. You need more, more, more. Because you can't get enough. Now, the truth is, you will, not because I'm so smart, but it's just because of how the human psychology works. You will believe one promise or the other. You will not believe both promises. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus makes his crystal clear. Why don't we believe him more often? Because we see what is in front of us. And we think that it will provide for our happiness. Your only choice in the matter is which God will you believe. Now, okay, let's be fair. Equal time. Like other powerful realities, sex, power, anger, money intoxicates us. It intoxicates and drags the mind down of the one who is obsessed with it so that it becomes a raging fire burning away your desire for anything and even everything else. How many have seen that in the lives of someone you've known? Obsession then consumes the slave to the point where money, that which money can buy, houses, cars, clothes, all good things... Okay? All good things. But they become, they aren't even as important as the gleam of gold or the ink on our bank statement or worse, the backlight from our computer screen. And if you need more evidence that money acts like a God, look no farther than cash printed by the United States. Catch this one. This note is legal tender for all debts, public and private. Just think about that for a second, and you'll see how arrogant it is. All debts, public and private, except, of course, when what you need most is your friend to trust you, or what you need most is your spouse to love you, or what you need most is your child to respect you, or your doctor to heal you, or what you need most is simply sleep. Make a list of all the things that you can't buy and I will show you a list of all the things you most need. Now, I don't want to slip into the problem of saying you don't need money. We do need money and we'll be talking about that a little bit more next week. But what we really need is the God who can supply all we need, whether that comes in the form of greenbacks or not. 
Never make either of the two fatal errors. One, to think that money is morally neutral. It is not. And the other is that all we need to do is simply figure out how to best save, invest, spend it as we should. That is true, but it is not the only truth and is not even the most important truth. My friends, how mocking is the God of money. How pathetic and absurd will the lover of money be when he stands before the almighty God of the universe. So how do I go about serving life instead of death? Put yourself in the path of ordinarily doing things, thinking about things, treasuring things in your heart that bring glory to God rather than comfort to your ego. Think about things that will routinely daily change you as Pastor Benji said in today in the mundane things of life that is absolutely 100% central to your ability to walk with Christ is that you understand that you can glorify God as you walk through the supermarket as you fill up your car with gas you must learn to treasure the ability to glorify God in the mundane or you'll never get past this. When you realize there is some time in your day, some time in your week in which you tend to stumble to do what we do what we said in the second point. Number 1, ask God to be with you, to give you the great grace that you need to defeat the God of money. And then secondly, remind yourself, godliness with, great, with contentment is great gain. It's better than having all the books and all the tools and all the houses and all the things that you could covet. We will learn to treasure God's rule and not stuff. We will learn to value the valuable. Now, I suspect there's nobody in this room that's a hoarder along the side, the, the kind that they talk about on TV. But don't let that make you believe you don't need to worry about Christ's command here. Because Paul takes the next step and makes it crystal clear in Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever is of the earth in you, sexual morality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry, which is making a God of your stuff your relationships, or your circumstances. Don't wait. Today is the day to put this to death so that you can truly live. Almighty, gracious, heavenly Father, bless us. We need you to be with us even right now. We need your grace, Lord Jesus, so that we will give you glory by making you our God instead of our stuff. Give us this grace for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.